Upper Room Discourse, where we dissect the meaning of Christian music and the history of Scripture. I'm Felipe Marin. And I'm Dakota Childress. What will we discuss this week? Keep listening to find out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Upper Room Discourse. My name is Felipe Marin. And I'm Dakota Childress. And I'm very excited to continue our Advent series today. Week three. Yep. With Luke. And with joy today. So uh, the first week, we uh, kind of looked at hope. Last week, we looked at peace. And this week, like we said, joy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so again, I'll go through it like we do every week. Uh, so Advent, it comes from the Latin Adventus, meaning arrival. And essentially, we look at the four Sundays leading up to Christmas is when it's celebrated. And this week, we look at a song that has to do with uh, Advent specifically. It does, yes. Uh, but not so much the first Advent. No. I mean, depends on how you look at it. But yeah. Uh, so there's an interesting thing about this week. So... We understand that in Advent, there's a wreath, and there's uh, four candles with a fifth one in the middle. So we understand there's three purple candles, mm-hmm. uh, or they could be like a dark blue kind of violet color. Uh, but then there's a pink candle or a rose candle. And uh, this week, uh, Joy is actually the pink candle or the rose candle. Seems kind of odd. It does. Uh, I actually did a little bit of research. Uh, I thought I knew everything about Advent, but apparently I didn't, as I find out every week. There's always more to learn. Uh, But this candle is called the shepherd candle, uh, which again is fitting since we're going to be in Luke today. Mm -hmm. Uh, But basically it represents the joy that comes with the arrival of Jesus is what it represents. And uh, there's a couple different things with Advent. So we understand that Advent finds its root in Catholicism. You know, it's where it started. It started in the Middle Ages to actually. Right. Uh, But there's actually more than one thing we celebrate during Advent. You know, not only do we look back to the first advent of Christ, which was his birth, uh, we also celebrate the future advent of Christ when he returns. You know, and that was actually more the original uh, celebration of advent before it was tied to the Christmas season. Is that like legit or is that just? I mean, it's legit. All the studying that I've done, again, it started in the Middle Ages, like the 500s, 600s. Uh, and it was just more more closely tied with that. Uh, I believe originally it was uh, like the time leading up before someone would be baptized, kind of. Uh, but again, it's kind of looking forward towards that future Advent. Right. Makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess we can celebrate the first coming of Christ, but why would we when we're supposed to look for the second coming? Exactly. So I get the, I get the original reasoning behind it. All right. So uh, now we're going to get into why is the candle pink? Do you have any thoughts or ideas why the candle's pink? Maybe they ran out of ideas on week three. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, So the third Sunday of Advent is called Gaudete Sunday, uh, which comes from the reading for that day at Mass, uh, which comes out of Philippians 4. But essentially that word Gaudete is Latin for rejoice. Uh, Traditionally, the priest would wear pink vestments on that day. So... uh, I, again, this is for the viewers. If you guys don't know anything about Catholicism or priests or anything like that, so they wear vestments, you know, every Mass. Right. And uh, there's many different colors, and the colors represent different things. So 
usually during the Advent season, they'll wear the purple ones, uh, which kind of represent penance. Uh, the rose one is closely connected with rejoicing. And uh, actually, the same thing happens during Lent. So on the fourth Sunday of Lent, they also wear the pink vestments. And it's really looking for this idea of joy still within the penance and in that preparation time. And that's kind of the, that's where the pink comes from. Yeah, I guess, you know, we're so used to pink and reds and Mm -hmm. whatever else. Like those hues and shades of colors being closely related to love that I wouldn't think of them as joy. Yeah. So. Yeah, and really the difference is, because, you know, purple is more of a softer, warmer color. Is warmer the right word? I think it is. It's It's a warm color. Purple is a warm color. It's more somber. It's more sorrowful of a color. Purple? It is, as opposed to rose or pink. That's kind of the difference. You know, we kind of have that more softer, kind of more somber color, and then we jump to this more brighter, pinker color. And again, it represents joy or rejoicing. Purple's always represented royalty. Yes. Uh, I wouldn't think somberness when I think royalty. I would think um But it, it's a different kind. Yeah. It's purple in a different sense, not purple in the sense of royalty. But more in the sense of like dark, somber, sorrowful. I don't know. It's, they it's, they messed up on this one. It's a Catholic. It's, that's where it finds its roots. Is in Catholicism. Yeah, that's what the purple vestments kind of stand for and represent. They messed up on these colors. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so I do want to read the verse Philippians four four because this is traditionally what would be read on that third Sunday of Advent. Uh, really, they would read the whole passage, so not just four four, but kind of like four four through six is what yeah. they would read. Uh, but four four says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say, rejoice. You know, and again, that's kind of, I guess, a little bit of the history of the third week of Advent, why the candle's pink and stuff like that. Cool things to study. Yeah. Uh, so moving on, let's go into our song for the day. My uh, favorite Christmas song that's not a Christmas song. Or as you said last week, you know, the diehard of Christmas songs. Yeah, the, I did say that. The diehard of Christmas songs. This is that one. Yes. Uh, so joy to the world. I think a lot of people would be surprised probably to know that it's not really a Christmas song or it's not, it wasn't meant to be a Christmas song, but we sing it at Christmas time. Yeah. I would debate all day long that it is just like I would debate all day long that (laughs) Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Um, Technically it is. I just wish, you know, I wish we played Joy to the World at other times of the year, not just at Christmas. You know? Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to like go over the lyrics and because it doesn't have that Christmas theme to it. It does not. It does not talk about the birth or the virgin or anything like that. Yeah, it really doesn't. So yeah. How did how do we get to this point? Is it intri- well, we'll uh, actually, I kind of I think I have an idea why, uh, but let's kind of go into the history of the song. So it was written in 1719, a long time ago. Uh, it was written by Isaac Watts, which uh, if you're anywhere in like hymns and stuff like that, uh, you should know who that is. Uh, I don't actually think he needs really an introduction. So he was a minister and a hymn writer. Uh, he's probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, English hymn writers. I'm trying to think of why that name is so familiar. You see it in hymnals today for sure. Uh, he wrote over 700 hymns. Did he have a brother? I don't know, actually. I oh, didn't research you didn't that. do that research. I didn't, right. I didn't research into his life that much. 
I think I don't know if it was him or somebody else around that kind of era. It could be someone else. Um, they had a brother, and they were both him writers. And Isaac Watts. I don't know why I'm like I don't know, uh, but, but Isaac Watts. That name does still sound familiar, though. But the cool thing with him, he tended to write hymns from the Psalms, and he was kind of mm-hmm. like I don't want to use the word pioneer, but he was really big in that movement of using the Psalms as like inspiration for him writing. He was really big in that. At least when we look at, I don't want to say modern day, but I guess kind of shifting away from that older style of the Christian music into this more hymn style that we see there in the 1700s and even before then. Yeah, I wonder what uh, music was like before they started writing hymns straight from... Well, it was they did the... Like they sang in Latin. Oh, yeah, that is that. true. Yeah. So Joy to the World is actually connected to Psalm 98, mm-hmm. and uh, it actually comes from his paraphrasing of that psalm. That's kind of where this hymn finds its roots. And uh, again, a little bit of... Uh, Other well-known hymns that you probably know uh, that we sing here at our church, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, written by Isaac Watts. Uh, Also, Alas and Did My Savior Bleed, or or as we might better know it as At the Cross, also written by Isaac Watts. Those are just two examples of well-known hymns by him. Yeah, those are two I immediately recognized. Yeah. Uh, So now let's go into more the melody. So the melody we use today for Joy to the World uh, was actually written about 100 years later after the hymn was written. Uh, and this was written, or not really so much written, uh, but it's really an arrangement uh, by Lowell Mason, and written in 1848, and uh, he actually titled it Antioch. And I believe that melody Antioch was written about 10 years prior, but he was kind of never found words to go along with that music. You know, it wasn't until 1848 when he published it with the words from Joy to the World. Right. And I wonder why he chose this one out of... I don't know. He just all was the, looking for one that would fit. Yeah, out of all the lyrics that he could have possibly chosen, it was this one. Yeah. Just interesting things to think about. So this is where I feel like it might... We might find some, I guess, more of a connection with Christmas. Uh, so the melody, it, uh, the tune, it actually comes from an adaptation of Handel's Messiah. That's Handel's kinda, Messiah. That's where kind of Lowell Mason got his inspiration from and kind of took some elements from that into an arrangement of a melody, which is what we use today. So that could be kind of where we start seeing that connection to Christmas time is because of that. But it wasn't written during Christmas. It wasn't arranged during Christmas. None of that. No. Uh, At least when Isaac Watts was, he had no inclination at all to connect it to Christmas. Right. At least last week, the song was written. Yeah. Like on Christmas day. (laughs) Yeah. Specifically about Christmas. And it still has Christmas themes in there, but this one's just, and uh, Lowell Mason, that should be a very familiar name in uh, American history. Uh, again, he doesn't really need an inspiration. Uh, sorry, an, an introduction. inspiration. Introduction is what I meant to say. Uh, he's really big when it comes to the introduction of music in the public school, like music education in public schools. He was really big in that and kind of allowing that to happen. Uh, he actually composed like well over a thousand hymn melodies. Wow. Yeah, he was really big in that kind of realm. Uh, he was actually the first person to write music to the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. So were people just like <laughs> saying Mary Had a Little Lamb before he came up with the melody? Well, he did. That's hard to think about. It wasn't really written out. He was kind of the first one to be like, all right, this is how we're writing it out and putting it in books so we can teach people how to sing it. But I say that the probably the melody, well, not probably, but the melody we use for Mary Had a Little Lamb today is actually not his melody that he wrote. 
but it's actually from another song. I think it's like Merrily We Roll Along or something. I think is where the actual tune that we sing today of Mary Had a Little Lamb. But he was the first to actually do it. If That, that kind of helps, I guess, explain a little bit more who, who that is. It does. Uh, okay, well, I guess that was a lot of history, a lot of information there. Uh, I guess I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think it's cool to study. You know, it's history. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you listeners can search and research yeah. and more yeah, on your own research. time, but we try to keep it close to, you know, the topic as possible. Yeah, so let's go into the song. So it's order of lyrics. It's so simple. It's just four verses. And actually, they usually omit the third verse. Most of the times when this song is sung or covered, that third verse is omitted, usually. I think, uh, I don't think we omit it here. I think we usually do it. Which is a good thing. I think we should be doing all the all four. Uh, I get why it's omitted, because verse three technically doesn't have anything to do with that. Psalm 98 is kind of more of a separate thing. I think it still fits in the song. It's just not, I guess it doesn't fit the context as well, I guess. I don't know. But I get why it's omitted. I labeled it as a song of proclamation. I think that's pretty fair. We're proclaiming, you know, joy to the world. Yeah. Uh, audience, well, the world. Everybody. <laughs> Anyone that hears this song. And uh, as a sub note, I was kind of like, you know, a lot of Christmas carols or like a lot of Christmas hymns, they kind of fall under the same category as like songs of proclamation, songs we're singing to the world. Not all of them, but I feel like there's a trend there where a lot of them do kind of fall into that. Yeah, we should just name every Christmas song joy to the world or something like that. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, uh, so looking at the melody, uh, the singability, stuff like that, uh, this song is a bop, you know, which is hard, rare to say for a hymn. But some hymns are bops, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah, I think it keeps up with its namesake. I think it's a very joyful song. Yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, every time we start th- talking about <laughs> a song, I have to, like, run the whole thing through my head. Yeah. And so I'm... That's like what I'm in the process of doing right now. So if like you're watching on YouTube, I'm just I feel like it's like a shame if you like make this song boring and sad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just such a fun song and it's always fun to sing. It's not super easy to sing, but it is fun to sing. That's for sure. So I'm looking at a version of Antioch. You can probably see it on the YouTube video. Uh this was published, I believe, in eighteen forty nine which I think was as close as I could get to an original with those words attached to it. Uh, It's written in the key of E major, which is not a favorite key, but it's not a bad key either. Uh, Honestly, you can do this song in whatever key you want because, frankly, people do it in whatever key they want. Every key. Yeah, basically. Uh, The melody is very complex, and a lot of that complexity is, is actually found in the rhythm. The notes, not so much. But that rhythm tends to be pretty complicated and pretty complex. Yeah, we do we do a pretty complex version of it here at Oakview as well. Yes. I feel like we tend to, at least recently, we've tended towards the Phil Wickham version of Joy to the World, which I like. The I think Phil it's a, Wickham version. Yeah, the Phil Wickham version. That's the one that we sing. That's what we sang at our recent youth service. Interesting. With the joyful, joyful at the end. Oh, yeah. That's Phil Wickham. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's just go back to the original. <laughs> so this melody, it is heavily syncopated, like very syncopated. Uh, there's four different motives 
or kind of like musical ideas. Mm -hmm. So obviously we have that first one, you know, joy to the world, the Lord is come. That's kind of our first one. And then we switch it up. Let earth. Oh, I'm sorry. Let earth receive her king. That's part of that first one. It's kind of like that first one calls and responses. Uh, Then it switches up. Let every heart prepare him room. That changes it up again. And then we change it up again and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. And then we switch it up again and heaven, heaven and nature sing. So it's very complicated. Like I think the only reason we find it easy to sing is because we've heard it so many times. Yeah, this is one of those ones. And I'm I'm thinking about, you know, the uh like the score mm-hmm. or the arrangement as well. Yeah. And cuz that plays a lot into how you sing. Yes. Okay. Does. Um and the rhythm is kind of feels like it's up and down. Yeah, it's complicated. It's and it's that syncopation. It's those dotted notes, drawn out notes, lots of like sixteenth notes just thrown in randomly. Right. You know, eighth dotted eighth sixteenth notes all throughout. And it keeps switching back and forth. It's kinda like it sounds good. It's just hard and complex. And I guess, you know, something I've I don't know if this is like how it's actually, you know, written out, but thinking through it in my head, it's like you're holding out notes but pausing the note yeah. at the same time. So, like, does that make sense? Yes, that's um, the syncopation is what that yeah. is. Yeah. And so it makes it really weird to sing, in a sense. I and think if someone's, like, their first time hearing this song, it, it might take them a couple tries to get it right. Right. If you're going based off of, like, yeah, if you just take if you've never heard mm-hmm. this song, right, never sung it before, never even known it existed, and then you see the sheet music for it, and like yes. you can read sheet music. That's what we're like trying to get at. Yeah, that was me when I looked at the score that I pulled out of this hymnal. I was like, "Oh my word!" <laughs> I mean, it's doable. It's not the hardest I've seen, but it's definitely complex. It's probably pretty rough playing it on an instrument too. Yeah. Uh, so because of all of that, I gave it a four out of five. Uh, really, what's saving it is because it's such a bop. Like it's hard not to enjoy this song when you hear it. Yeah, that is true. I like this song for Christmas time. Yeah. Moving on from there into poeticness, looking at flow, looking at grammar, uh, it does have repetition. And I like the repetition. The original song did not have that repetition. And I actually like it better now that I've looked at it. You like the repetition? No. Or you like the... I like it without the repetition Without the repetition. And that's because of the way it's written. I think it's... Like the poetry of it is so beautiful because it's written in couplets. You know, each verse has two couplets, and they actually rhyme. It's not perfect, but there is rhyming throughout. You know, and uh, this is what I'm looking at here. This is a much older version that I have here of the lyrics written down. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. See, that just sounds different. It just sounds, like, more poetic. You know, not to take away from the hymn, like, what we sing today, but it's just, it's different. And it doesn't add in the long the long line, the last mm-hmm. line, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Yeah. It doesn't add that in. No, it does not. It just ends right there. Then it goes to this next stanza, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Again, we're rhyming again. I got to disagree. I like the I like the repetition. Do you? It, like, kinda, it just kind of drives home, though. I like the repetition, too, because it kind of pushes, like pushes the point across, and I like that. 
But that's also what we've been around, so I'm yeah. just kind of like. But I just feel like it. I just feel like the poetry is more beautiful without the repetition. Not that it really takes too much away of it, but I just I feel like it breaks it up because we it's not so much of a couplet now. You know, the couplet's broken up. It's not a couplet. You know, and the rhyming gets lost. Like if I were to ask someone, "Did you know that Joy to the World has rhyming in it?" I feel like most people would be like, "Nah," because you don't really hear the rhyming in the way that we sing it. Because of the way the rhythm is broken up and the different motives throughout, like the rhyming just gets broken up and we don't really think about it. Yeah, I'm trying to look for the yes. rhyming. See? And it's not coming to me. See? Uh, verse three breaks up the rhyming, which is interesting. Uh, I know it's not verse three, it's verse four. Uh, but, verse, the last one. but verse three, like super rhymes. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns yeah. infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found like double rhymes and then verse four he just breaks it he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love i was like what happened to the rhyming yeah what happened and then i was like you know maybe it's not supposed to be pronounced prove maybe it's supposed to be pronounced prov so it rhymes with love you know i was like maybe that's how it was supposed to be pronounced in the 1700s i don't know i don't think so i don't think so either but i found that interesting was he uh, British? Yes. You know that sometimes they say he was English. So maybe that's like so when he said it. Way. Maybe that's you know how it came out for him. Yeah. I don't know. I also had to research how to spell the word "prove" because it's not spelled the way I thought it was. I had I thought I had a double O. It does not have a double it, O. It's such a weird word to spell. No, it's not. It's always been P R O V E. I didn't know that. It looks oh, weird to me. Goodness. That's funny. I gave it a four out of five on poeticness looking just at the song version. Cause I feel like again, that breaking it up, we lose the rhyming. We lose kind of the beauty of the poetry in there when we do like our version with the repetition. Yeah. I'll say this, you know, going back to that, um, mm-hmm. the rhyming and stuff, a lot of songs, um, a lot of poems and stuff actually do that yeah. though, where you'll have a word, you'll have two words, mm-hmm. um, in separate lines that might be spelled the same way, but are just totally don't yes. even rhyme because, and it's still a rhyming it. scheme because it looks like it rhymes. Yeah. yeah. And it's still technically a rhyming scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, even though like those two lines wouldn't be like a, a for example, yeah. it'd be like a C or a B, yeah. which is kind of, it's an interesting way to rhyme, but I agree. or not rhyme. <laughs> I should say. Yeah. It works though. I mean, when you see it, it looks pretty. And it works. It does. Uh, now, this is my favorite part, the evocation, the vibe check. All right, I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's a five out of five. I don't think there's any wrong emotions or anything wrong that you can do with this song. I mean, I guess technically you could, but by that point, it's not the song's fault. It's your fault. Yeah, when it comes to um, like how it's supposed to make you feel, mm-hmm. I get why they just throw out Verse three, yes, because it makes no sense for it to be there. Yes, um, so I understand. I'd throw it out too, but because I mean, it just doesn't make. You're talking about you know the coming of the Lord again, mm-hmm. right? The second coming. Okay, and so I guess it. I mean, I guess it makes sense thematically. It does, right? No more let sins and sorrows grow. All right, nor thorns infest the ground. 
I don't know. I guess that it just kind of for me takes away the rest of the theme of the song where yeah. we're talking about you know the coming and yeah, it's, it's there's a connection there, but it's not yeah. as a strong connection. I right. guess for sure. I put down that the song is very much filled with joy, and I think it gives us a good explanation of why we can have joy. You know, and I think this song really makes us want to get up and proclaim to the world the truths contained within it. You know, like it, it helps that it's catchy. It helps that it's a bop. You know, it's just like a song you're out there just humming. You know, you're just telling the world, you know, joy to the world. And I love that a lot. Yeah, and what I was going to say is, you know, I'm surprised that, you know, that was the psalm chosen instead of Mm. Psalm 150. Where it says, you know, is it Psalm? It is Psalm 150. Mm -hmm. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Ah, I see. You see? Yeah. I feel like that. I feel like, you know, Psalm 150 encompasses that a little bit more. Um, that sense of everything praising God mm-hmm. than maybe Psalm 98. Yeah. Um, that's my opinion, though. Yeah, and again, it's really just more, that's where the inspiration comes from, and that's where right. the, it's just a paraphrasing of some of the verses from it. You know, it's kind of where it comes, that's kind of where it finds its roots, you know, because I feel like a lot of those Psalms in that area of the book uh, they kind of all kind of tie around to that idea of joy and praise. Yeah, and they're both psalms of praise. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's not really a dedicated author either to Psalm 98. I don't know about mm-hmm. Psalm 150. It might be David, but I could be wrong. No, there's no wow. author. Um, but, yeah, they're both psalms of praise. So, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of – I mean, you could put all the psalms of praise together. Yeah, you could. Um, and – there's like a trillion connections and, you know, references yeah. that are so similar between each one that, mm-hmm. you know, you'd never understand them all. And so, you know, honestly, there's no real issue in choosing either one of these. Yeah. I mean, you know, we just get Psalm 98. Yeah. But I do like all of the, um, it does have more references in Psalm 98. Mm-hmm. I just think um, for me, Psalm 150 encompasses the, you know, everything praising God. Yeah. A little bit more because you know you get the trumpet, you get with mm-hmm. you know instruments with your voice, you get the whole earth. Yeah, and then and, and I think Isaac Watts paraphrased all of the psalms. I could be wrong with that. That's not a something I studied or looked into. But I wouldn't be surprised if he had just paraphrased all one fifty psalms. Oh, into, like he just took each individual one in the same way. Yeah, because even like what I'm looking at here, you know, mm-hmm. I have Psalm ninety eight, but right before it there's ninety seven, and right after it there's ninety nine, all within the same you know booklet kind of published together yeah and well, well i mean we'll do an overview of psalm you know at some point mm-hmm. um but when you get into some of these psalms they actually should be read together yes. like some of them should be yes, uh, that is true now psalm 97 98 and 99 probably 100 probably should all be read yeah, together they, they actually tend to be grouped together in a big group i think it starts mm-hmm. at like psalm 95 or 96 is where it starts and it kind of groups them into a big section yeah together. psalm is like that's another book we're going to be going over yeah. today psalms but psalms is broken up into like five books um, that as well yeah uh, the last thing i have with evocation is that i think the song brings about feelings of security you know the lord is come the savior reigns his blessing upon the curse you know the fact that he rules I think it also it helps remind us that Jesus will one day return, you know, and this is what we will experience when that happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're actually going to go into that 
a little bit when we get into the Luke. Mm. Um, but that's what we look forward to. Uh, and, you know, we looked at Matthew and Mark. Mm-hmm. And at the end of Matthew, we get the Great Commission. You know, um, I would say probably, you know, that that uh, passage alone, mm-hmm. you know, those three, four verses, yeah. you know, something like that, um, are probably some of the most, you know, famous and most quoted verses mm. in, you know, the Christian faith. That's true. And he gives the promise of, and it's not in, you know, he says, yeah, you know, lo, mm-hmm. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't get the promise until Acts um, that he's going to come back the same way. That is true. That he went. Yeah. Um, and then you see the prophecies all throughout the Old Testament. Um, you know, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, there's references in Ezekiel. Yes. Um, some of the later prophets, you know, Jeremiah. Different different places mm-hmm. where it talks about, you know, the coming of God again. It does, I mean, mostly yeah. like, I mean, most of that apocalypse apocalyptic stuff you're going to find like Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are specific ref- references to his coming, whether that's his first one or second one and other prophets as well. And so, and then we get to, you know, revelation, the very mm-hmm. first book we did week yes. one, and that's all about, mm-hmm. you know, the second coming. Yes. That's all about Christ coming back in his full glory, you know, as God, as the God man again, mm-hmm. you know, redeeming creation, whether you believe that's, you know, a total destruction of, you know, what's here yeah. and a rebuilding of it, or, you know, taking what's here and just uh, reforming it mm. and it becoming perfect again. I mean, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so that's what, that's, you know, I think we kind of see through this song, you know, let every heart prepare him room. Mm hmm. Uh, repeat the sounding joy, you know, while fields, floods, rocks, hills, you know, they repeat the joy. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes to make his blessings flow. That is the blessing. Yeah. And then he rules, you know, that ruling, you know, while, and we kind of talked about this, um, I believe it was week one again, mm-hmm. um, you know, millennial kingdom and stuff like that, yeah. you know, different beliefs and, you know, are we in that thousand years of Christ reigning now? Is it a future thing? You know, Christ rules in the heart of those who believe in him. He does, yes. And so that that is very real. And then he will also, you know, whether you believe physically rule mm-hmm. uh, for a thousand years, I mean, or he's, you know, ruling right now mm-hmm. in a thousand years. Um, and it's more of a spiritual aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, you know, after that time, he's going to rule. Um, you know, most physically, metaphysically, um, you know, right there at the right hand of the father on the earth Mm -hmm. and there's going to be a direct connection and there's, there is going to be that peace, Mm -hmm. right? There is going to be that new creation. Um, there's going to be all of that, you know, Mm -hmm. cause there's not going to be any more sin, Yep. you know, and that's what we get in revelation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So moving back, uh, talking more so with the song moving, looking Mm -hmm. at lyrics, really like how much, I guess, how closely they're connected with Scripture. Uh, so obviously we've talked about it a couple times, but Psalm 98, that is the psalm of inspiration. And really, you know, Isaac Watts took, you know, he kind of paraphrased it, taking truths out of it. And a really, and this is something that Isaac Watts tended to do, he would attach it with New Testament language and kind of tying this psalm in with the return of the Messiah, with the return of Christ. You know, and again, this was not meant to be a Christmas song. That's not why 
he did it. That was not his intention when he wrote it. Right. And uh, the verse I want to bring out, because obviously I'm not going to read through all of Psalm 98. You guys should definitely do it in your own time. Uh, but verse 4 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Mm-hmm. You know, and I kind of feel like that's one of the big verses that I would connect with this song, Joy to the World. And uh, actually, stanzas 1, 3, and 4, they all revolve around Psalm 98. And kind of you can find connections in each of those stanzas to the psalm. You know, and because the psalm also talks about like creation praising, you know, which fits with verse two, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains. You know, and ver- and at the end of the psalm, it talks about how he is a king, and how he rules basically with our connection there. Uh, stanza three—that's kind of the weird one. Uh, so stanza three really echoes out of Genesis chapter three. You know where we see the curse. That's why it says, you know, no more let sins and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. You know, that's where it comes from. It comes from the curse, which is there in Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, and that's like I was saying a minute ago, which is why I understand that it's in here. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, Christ will come and do away with that curse once and for all. Yes. Um, and I also understand why people might not want to include it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it, while it does fit the theme, it doesn't... How do I put this? Um I don't, I don't guess the flow is 100% there, mm-hmm. right? Yes, I would agree with that. And so that's why people leave it out because it kind of takes this more dark mm-hmm. turn where, you know, you're kind of, this yeah, is a perfect way, this is a perfect way. You know, you've been, oh, yeah, 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 and, you know, and kind of feels like lighthearted at the beginning. Yeah. And like, and then, then we, you get to this and it's like, get, like grim serious. and serious and yeah. dark. <laughs> and then you're back to he rules the world. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, whoa. Yeah, that's like the point of the song where like, they like lower the lights a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Starts getting a little warmer in the room. Yeah. You're sweating. No, I'm just kidding. I gave it a four out of five on lyrics. Uh, I think that's pretty fair. You know, because obviously there's a lot of draws and inspiration from scripture. It's yeah. written very similarly to like how we see Psalms. Uh, but it's not scripture. It's a paraphrasing of scripture and it's taking truths out of it. You know, there's not like a direct reference if that makes sense like there's not like a word for word verse in here he kind of paraphrased from the psalm right and while paraphrasing you know you have to be careful with it yeah um and i mean very careful because you end up if you paraphrase too much Mm -hmm. okay you end up being like um i can't remember his name right now but he did the message bible yes not even complete okay and you try to hold to the truth and integrity of what, you know, the original manuscripts say, which we don't even have most of the original manuscripts for yeah. a lot of, you know, books, right? Um, but, and while you try to hold to that truth, you know, what you're putting in it mm-hmm. is not right. So then, you know, the integrity isn't there. Yes. And so, I th- you know, I would be careful with um you know paraphrasing and stuff mm-hmm. uh because that trap can happen um there's another uh word i like using better it's not paraphrasing but you know i can't ever think of anything while on a stream yeah um but it, it keeps for the most part the integrity and the truthfulness of it without being borderline 
heretical, I guess. Yeah. And I'm not saying this is heretical, but I'm saying you have to be very careful with paraphrasing you do. because you can get borderline heretical. Mm-hmm. And I think this, ca- I think, you know, this is a great example of paraphrasing, mm-hmm. okay, where you capture the integrity of scripture and, you know, you keep the truthfulness that is there as well. Exactly. Unlike the Message Bible. Yeah. yeah don't read the Message Bible. Don't read the Message Bible. Exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Final thoughts. Uh, I gave it a, so it ended up being 4.25 out of 5. 4.25. Which is a pretty good score. That's probably about where I'd put it. Yeah. Probably like a 4 or 4.25, you know. I do love playing the song at Christmas. It's just short. Yeah. I I wish we would play it at other times because, you know, it's not just about Christmas, you know. I want to, you know, we're looking forward to the coming Advent of Christ, you know, so we, let's right. not sing it only at Christmas time. Let's sing it throughout the year. It makes you almost want to come up with a new holiday just to sing the song. What? I don't know. Uh, the Return of the King. <laughs> the, the Return of the King. <laughs> the Return of the King. Yeah. That's because that's not already taken. Is it not? I think it is. I think that's a title for something else. I know I used that last week. <laughs> or was it two weeks ago? I don't know. Uh, should Anyways. you play this on a Sunday morning with the congregation? Yeah. Absolutely. We do. Yeah. You, why, I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. But please don't just song. only play it at Christmas time. Please play it like throughout the year. Yeah, that's a hard bargain though. You know, as mu- as much as like this song I know, you know, is not specifically a Christmas song, I don't think that request is ever going to go through. I'm sorry, Felipe. I know, unfortunately. Because it's always going to be stuck to Christmas time. But it's such a joyful song. Like, joy is not, like, held to only Christmas time. Like, we can have joy other times of the year and be joyful. It's like that other one, joyful, joyful, we adore you. Yeah, it's not. It's, it has nothing to do with Christmas, but we only <laughs> sing it at Christmas time. Oh. Like, we can sing that, like, at any time of the year you want. You really can. You know? Uh, but, I mean, that's that's the song. You know, Joy to the World. I love it. It's definitely one of my favorite Christmas songs, even though it's not a Christmas song. I love singing it. I love Phil Wickham's version, even though it's not the original. It's, uh, I guess it's like three times removed from the original since he adds so much to it, but it still sounds great. I think you would like um, Nat King Cole's or Bing Crosby's versions. They're, those are good too. They cut, they cut out verse three, unfortunately. Nat doesn't. Nat King Cole doesn't. Really? Yeah. He keeps uh, he keeps all the verses. I was just listening to it earlier uh, before the before we started yeah well, i'm gonna recording. be honest the my favorite version that i found that's like has the verses and it's like pretty close to the original is george Strait's version george Strait. yeah it's, it's pretty good actually one. i would recommend listening to that one interesting yeah something different maybe if you haven't right. ever heard of it before it's probably got that country twang it does a little bit it sounds good i mean it's george Strait's. yeah anyways uh, so we're gonna jump uh after this we have a word study book study we'll be looking book at study Luke. word study yep uh but yeah we'll see you guys in, in a, a couple minutes Oakview Baptist Church is located at 810 Oakview Road on the corner of Johnson Street and Oakview. Join us for Bible Fellowship every Sunday morning from 9.30 to 10.30 and for service from 10.45 to noon or on Sunday evenings from 6 to 7 for our evening service. If you are college age or a young adult, you can join us for The View on Sunday evening at the same time as the main service. On Wednesday night from 6.30 to 8, we have Word of Life for the Youth, Awana and Cubbies for the Kids, and an adult Bible study led by our pastor. Check out the links in the description of the YouTube video for past services or more info. 
And welcome back from that break. Now we're going to be looking at, uh, we just finished looking at Joy to the World. Uh, Now we're going to be, or I say looking at, talking about Joy to the World. We looked at it and talked about it. You guys didn't. So anyways, why do we have joy? Where does this joy come from? Um, We're going to be looking at the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Mm -hmm. Um, Part one. You're kind of spoiling it. Oh. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, yeah, part one. We'll get into that in just a second. What do you know about Luke? Uh, Luke was a physician. Yes. And do you know what else? He, he's a pretty good... Uh, do you know? Oh, I don't no. know. Like historian pretty, or writer? Yeah, historian. Okay. He's, a, he's a pretty good historian too. Um, especially for somebody who more than likely... Um, was never around any of these events. Yes. Um, yep. And something interesting about, you know, Luke is this is the most chronological gospel. Yeah, he does a pretty good job of keeping things, like, in order. He does. Uh, just kind of, you know, kind of makes you wonder who he interviewed mm. to get these events down because, um, you know, I would think, you know, and. This was probably written about the 50s, AD, mm-hmm. something like that, yeah. 40s, um, somewhere around there. You know, who is he talking to at this point? You know, some of the disciples are probably old men. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what happened to Joseph, the, fa- the earthly oh, father. Yeah. You know, um, Mary's probably an old lady if she hasn't passed away already. Um, you know, so, you know, it's kind of interesting, You know, you know, like, who did he talk to? Mm. Well, I mean, it doesn't really matter. We just know he talked to somebody, yeah. and we got all this information. Yeah. And, you know, you're kind of like, okay, well, why? All right. And, you know, I'm glad we asked that question <laughs> uh, because we're actually given the why in the first chapter, right? We are. Yes. Um, so, you know, he says, and as much as they have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. He talked to the eyewitnesses, the disciples, mm-hmm. and servants of the word. You know, there was more than 12 disciples. There were 12 close disciples, yeah. 11, yes, really, because we know what happened and understand what happened to one of them. And then there were a whole, you know, a whole lot more than that, right? Mm-hmm. And so he got stories from these eyewitnesses, the disciples. It seemed fitting for me as well. This is in chapter 1 having investigated everything carefully. And I just love how he kind of yes. writes. You know, he's, he's crossing all his T's, dotting mm-hmm. all his I's, right, from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order. Yep. Okay, and he does a good job of that. Most excellent Theophilus. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is who he's doing it for. Yep. So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is to confirm the faith of Theophilus so that he knows what he is Getting himself into is truth. Yeah. Uh, what do we do? We know anything about Theophilus? Because I don't know anything about him other than this book was written for him. You know, that was the least of my uh, <laughs> research work. Used to be honest. Um, go look up Theophilus yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, do a little bit of research on who that is. I'm not entirely sure. He's. I would. I would have to say. You know, he's probably somebody of importance. Yeah. Um. You know, because he would have the time, the resources to employ, mm. em, employ, yeah, yeah. You know, somebody like Luke 
mm-hmm. um, to do this. Mm-hmm. So he's got to at least have some money. You know, not everybody's just going around. Hey, uh, do some extensive research. Go talk to, yeah, you know, tens, maybe a hundred people who saw these things happen about Jesus and write them all down for me. Yeah, you know, they didn't have typewriters. They didn't have computers. They had to handwrite everything. Mm-hmm. And when they messed up, they balled up that scrap of paper and threw it in the fire and had to restart. Yep. Long process. Um, and that gets into a whole, like, talking about that right there gets into a whole aspect of why the Bible is so truthful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a topic for another day. But we're talking about Luke and Joy, and that's just his reason for writing, mm-hmm. right, uh, for Theophilus. And that's his target audience, Theophilus. Yeah. Um. So, you know, getting into it, the first three chapters, mm. all right, uh, this encompasses, you know, a couple of different stories. And it also explains um, the kind of theme mm. that Luke is going for and how he presents Jesus. Um, but we get the birth of yeah. John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus. Um, and... Do you do you know the theme that Luke goes for in writing how he tries to present Jesus? What do you mean like So Matthew presents him as a king, right? Mm-hmm. And then Mark as a servant, mm-hmm. and then Well, in Luke we see the son of man. The son of man is what we see. Right. So he's trying to really hone in on this idea of Jesus' humanity. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I think that's one of the reasons why he really incorporates such a length of this book, three chapters, the most of any of the Gospels. Yeah, to his birth and the circumstances surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because, you know, you go back to you go back to Matthew, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get one, maybe two chapters about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it, you know, isn't in, as in-depth. And some of it's actually prophecy, if you go back and really read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Luke, he just goes, you know, straight for it, all of it. Yep. Like, there's stories in here that only Mary are gonna, Mary and Elizabeth are going to know about mm-hmm. and their husbands, mm-hmm. right? So that that off the bat should tell you he's interviewed Mary. Yeah. And so, you know, one through three, um, just to overview, I kind of titled these this section of chapters, you know, uh, Tracing Roots. Yeah. And uh, something that I really love about the beginning of Luke uh, is that we see the movement of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, the Holy Spirit's mentioned more than probably anybody else in any of those chapters, I feel like. You know, you just, I, I, that's something I'd recommend, you know, just go through and, like, highlight or underline every time the Holy Spirit's mentioned in those first chapters. Yeah, the Holy Spirit or, you know, an angel or something like that. Cause yeah, it's mentioned very often. A lot mm-hmm. in these first three chapters. Um, and like I said, and, and we'll see how that really connects to uh, Jesus' humanity mm-hmm. and, you know, how it presents him later. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're talking about Luke being chronological. Mm-hmm. Um, and his ministry starts in chapter 4, um, kind of lasts to, you know, chapter 7. That's really the ministry begins um, era. And you got to remember, it's about a three-year period where Jesus mm-hmm. is having his ministry. Yes. Okay, so he's around 30 years old. And, you know, he, it's, it's so funny because, you know, you read Matthew. Matthew's the first gospel book, mm-hmm. right? Then Mark is the second, and then Luke is the third. Yeah. Well, 
if you try to read the gospel, if you try to read the Bible straight through, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're starting with Matthew, obviously, once you get there. And then you get to Luke, and it's like, okay, why is everything out of order here? Like, mm-hmm. what's going on? Yep. And you got to remember, this is chronological order. Mm-hmm. You know, math, there are a couple of things um, in this that probably are not chronologically correct. Yeah. Um, but that's with anything. But Matthew and Mark, they threw chronology right out the window and went for true. like a thematic view of very events. Um, but Luke, very trustworthy dude. Because mm-hmm. he does, like we said, he does research, very chronological. And I'll kind of get into why, you know, that's important here in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like Luke also involves a lot of stuff you don't see in Matthew or Mark. He does. Mm-hmm. And then he goes into, like, detail on some stuff that, yeah. well, obviously Mark doesn't. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Mark, Mark gives no detail about anything. Yeah. Um, and then Matthew, Matthew just, you know, loves talking about the parables. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you were probably to interview Matthew, he'd probably like, yeah, dude, I remember all these parables. Couldn't tell you anything else. No, I'm yeah. just joking. But that's about how it goes. Uh, so we get to chapters four through seven. Like I said, that's the, that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about Luke presenting Jesus as the son of man. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we don't see this term son of man until we get to chapter five mm-hmm. and it's verse 24. Okay. Um, and it says, but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Mm-hmm. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Now keep that in mind. Uh, because when we get to the end of this book, mm-hmm. um, well, we'll see when we get to the end of this book, cause he, it, it's used again. In a very similar way. Yeah. Um, so, very human, mm-hmm. right? And I think I think we definitely see that. Okay. Um, you know, Jesus has to eat. Literally, we come we come That's off that true. verse. Yeah. And the next section is Jesus is eating at Matthew's house. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can't be a human and not get hungry. Exactly. Exactly. So. And Jesus shows that. And Jesus shows that he does. Yeah, and uh, Luke also has you know a genealogy, you know, and he does it you know different from how Matthew does it, but he I believe he does a genealogy almost backwards. He starts with Jesus and then he moves backwards all the way to Adam. Yeah, he does. Uh, it starts with Jesus and goes all the way to yeah. Adam, and we'll get into the word study about how that's important later. Yeah. Um, but you know, talking about you know Jesus being human, um. Literally, the whole like next three sections are about eating, are about hunger. You know, Jesus eats at Matthew's house. Yeah. Um. You know, the Pharisees and all of them, they're talking about, oh, y'all don't fast. Why are you oh, not yeah. fasting? And then, uh, we talked about this in Matthew. Uh, Matthew does a better job of presenting this uh, story about mm-hmm. Jesus and his disciples and how it connects to David mm-hmm. than Luke does. And they're going on the Sabbath, and they're picking grain and eating it. Yeah. And like I said, Matthew does a great job of uh, going back to David mm-hmm. and David doing that same thing. Uh, whereas Matthew just kind of, you know, he says, you know, have you not even read what David did? Like, it's only five verses this little section is. Yeah. Whereas I think in Matthew it's probably like 12 or something like mm-hmm. 
Um, so it just kind of goes to show you the things that they give attention to detail on. And then in that same chapter, chapter six, you get the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty short in Luke. Whereas you get like... Matthew gives us a whole sermon. A whole sermon. You get like three chapters mm-hmm. on the Beatitudes in Matthew. You get like one section in Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, so just it's kind of funny. It also plays into that uh, why it seems a little complicated uh, when you're trying to make a chronology of the timeline yeah. of events. Because you read Matthew first, and then you think, okay, this is the chronology of events. Mm. And then you get to Luke, and it's like, no, yeah. this is it. And And I feel like, you know... Like, even that section of the Beatitudes, I don't think that's really, like, from the same section when we saw it in Matthew. Because I feel like Jesus went through it multiple times. You know, not just in that one sermon, because that's just how he taught and what he taught. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, In Matthew, it is actually brought up twice. Once, um, the Beatitudes, once there. And then, I don't know what chapter specifically later Mm -hmm. on, but it is in a later chapter. And he just goes over them about as briefly as Luke does. Yeah. Uh, later on so it is interesting to see that and then we get to um and there's a whole bunch more references Mm -hmm. um to son of man you know one in six five six twenty two seven twelve and seven thirty four um and then we get to luke eight and then i've kind of titled this section the same way you know Mm -hmm. for every book but who is jesus yeah and it's important that question is important um you know because Jesus is all the things we've talked about, mm-hmm. right, up until this week. He is king. Yeah. He is servant. Mm-hmm. And he is man. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, next week we're going to look at, you know, we're looking at son of man this week. And then we're going to finish it off with son of God. Yeah. He is all four. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. And why is that a big deal? That, well, he's, that he is king, servant, son of man, and son of God. Well, it just kind of, I guess, gives us a good show of who Jesus himself is. You know, and of course, it's very important to understand that he was a man, you know, because God cannot die. You know, so he had to become a man so he could die. You know, but if he wasn't God, he wouldn't have been perfect. You know, so it's very important to understand he was both man and he was both God. Yep. And we looked at um, we looked at Philippians four. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I guess it is is it Philippians two or Philippians four, where it's the uh the section where it talks about him giving up himself. That's Philippians 2. That is Philippians 2, yeah. Uh, verses 5 through 11, I think mm-hmm. it is. Yes. Um, just a, like one of the greatest passages mm-hmm. on Jesus not giving up his deity, but relinquishing, relinquishing himself yeah. of um, most of his, um, I don't want to say abilities, because that's not literally not the right word, but his traits, yeah, um, which he still has, but he becomes human like mm-hmm. us. You know, there are times we're going to look at like a fig tree um, where he's walking up to it. It's one of my favorite <laughs> passages, um, but he's walking up to a fig tree, uh-huh. okay, and he's hungry. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it, again, shows Jesus' humanity. Jesus stays hungry. Jesus stays. He really does. Like, I think that's one of the most talked about things, like, in Jesus' life is hunger and, like, yeah. fasting, uh, besides, like, other mm-hmm. law issues. Anyways, but he's walking up to this fig tree, and he's like, yeah, you guys want some figs? You know, I'm kind of hungry. You guys hungry, <laughs> right? This is how I see this conversation going yeah. in my head. And he's walking up to it, and he's like, dude, come on, man. 
he's he's a bit angrier than that. Like yeah. he's like, dang, bro, boom, cursed. Mm-hmm. And he curses that fig tree. Mm-hmm. He's like, you'll never produce enough. <laughs> it's so funny. It is so funny. You come back the next day, the tree is dead. Yeah, this tree is completely <laughs> dead. But it, it's also kind of chilling because uh, mm-hmm. it was also a judgment on yeah. Israel. Yep. Uh, we kind of skipped way ahead on that one. That's one of my favorite passages, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, Luke chapters 8 through 10. Who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. Son of man. Servant. King. And then we'll look at son of God next week. Um, again, we see this terminology, son of man, uh, used in Luke 9, verse 26. And it's only in chapter 9 in this section. Uh, so chapter 9, 26, 44, 56, and 58. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then something interesting. Um, if you read Matthew, okay, Matthew takes 17 chapters to get to a very specific point. Mm-hmm. Um, in this section, and that's the transfiguration. Yeah, and it's like, dude, Matthew, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he goes through, you know, all these parables. Yep. You know, it takes him a while. It takes him a long time. And you know how many chapters we've gone through so far to get to the transfiguration? Mm. About nine and a half. Yeah. <laughs> and Luke, <laughs> he's kind of moving. He moves at the beginning, yes. relatively fast. Okay. Fair. Like, remember, we're nine chapters in, nine and a half chapters in, and we're already at the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. So that should tell you that, you know, this kind of happened, you know, probably fairly early in the ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because after this, all right, Luke gets into it and it's, you know, it's healing, you know, it's the, you know, disciple arguing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a little later on actually comes the, um, the trip back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. So it's not so... You know, when you read Matthew and Mark, okay, it's Transfiguration, and then maybe like a chapter or two later, mm-hmm. um, he's on at Jerusalem. Yeah. So, you know, in your mind, I guess, at least in my mind, what kind of happens is there's this bit of time mm-hmm. between the Transfiguration and him going to, Jer- like, actually leaving for Jerusalem. Yeah. Right? Um, but in Luke, that... I don't know if this is technically true, but mm-hmm. it seems like there's an even greater amount of time between the transfiguration and when he begins to make his uh, journey back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know because, you know, we don't have a specific timeline. Uh, I guess that's just kind of how things play out in my head. Yeah. Um, but in a lot of the, a lot of the events, uh, if you go and read, compare Matthew and Luke, mm-hmm. they're kind of like flip-flop. So a lot of the things that Matthew talks about leading up to the transfiguration mm-hmm. is just about everything that Luke talks about after the transfiguration. Interesting. Yeah. And it is interesting because it's like, you know, does, does the transfiguration, and I guess this is a question that runs through my mind, mm-hmm. right? Does the transfiguration, you know, allow him to do more and work more in his power fully? I gotcha. Does that make sense? And we don't know. Um, I wouldn't dwell on that question too much, but I think it's an interesting one to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I was looking when I was doing this um, at a verse in chapter 10, and we kind of looked at it uh, last week when we looked at Mark. It's uh, chapter 10, verse 19. Um, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over mm-hmm. all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. 
Yeah. I kind of wanted to bring that up because, <laughs> you know, we're coming a week off of uh, talking about Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you remember why? Do you know why I bring that up? Yeah, because we talked about it. It's at the end of Mark. Yeah, and what and what what's going on at the end of the Mark there? Uh, well, that's where they, like, added things in, kind of, like, added to the end of the book. Yeah, it is. I kind of thought it was just a little interesting. So, yeah. you know, I think what that should show is that maybe uh, Mark, what they were doing when writing Mark, mm-hmm. right? He could have taken, you know, or somebody else, because more than likely when Mark was written, that was added in later. Yeah. What they did was they read this, mm-hmm. maybe, possibly. They were like, hmm. Let's add this at the end of Mark. That yeah. sounds pretty good. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know. Uh, something interesting to look into, you know. But uh, keep going. Uh, you know, Luke chapters 11 through 19. This is probably the biggest section of chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and really go and compare this to Matthew. Yeah. Uh, this is what I would actually compare to Matthew is these chapters because a lot of the, a lot of the events are similar. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the same events, but they just kind of happen a little bit differently. Um, and you'll see what I mean uh, because there's not enough time to go through these. And they're just out of place in Matthew. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, this is chronological in Luke. They're in different places in Matthew. Um, so, again, Son of Man, um, looking at quite a few different places. Chapter mm-hmm. 11 and verse 30. Uh, chapter 12, you have verses 8, 10, 40. Uh, chapter 17, you got a few more places. Chapter 17, verses 22, 24, 26, and 30. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter 18, verses 8 and 31. And then chapter 19 and verse 10 are all places that use um, Son of Man. Yeah. And I think just about every single one of them is Jesus using them about himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what he called himself. Mm-hmm. And so that should just... And just as uh, there's a famous statement, um, the I am statement, mm-hmm. right? Nobody else uses that statement. The ego a me. Yeah, it's Jesus. Jesus uses that. And it should really drive home the point, you know, why is Jesus saying ego a me mm-hmm. when referring to God? He's saying I and the Father are one, mm-hmm. right? So the question that should come to your mind, why is Jesus saying I and the Father are one? Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, saying, son of man, yeah. I am the son of man. Mm-hmm. That should that should throw up a red flag in a good way. Yeah. Okay. Because how can you be God and how can you be man? Mm-hmm. That's the question. And that's the question. And we have it right here in Jesus. Um, now, you can question that all day long, but I think, you know, the thing that most people get hung up on, and it becomes the problem of those who... Um, look at the Christian faith, mm-hmm. okay, is that's what they get hung up on. Like, how can God be man? Because if God is supposed to be perfect and man is sinful, mm-hmm. then that means when he becomes man, he's sinful. Mm-hmm. And then if he's sinful, how can he die on the cross for our sins? Yeah. Right? And so you fall into this deep rabbit hole, and what you have to remember is that Jesus is perfect. The Son of mm-hmm. God, you know, Jesus, the Son of Man, Yep is perfect through and through. He's perfect because of his deity. He doesn't lose his deity at all. Mm-hmm. He just gains humanity. Yeah. And he's 100% God and man at the same time. Mm-hmm. So then we finally get to um, the end of the book, uh, end of part one, really. Yeah. Thanks for spoiling that earlier. 
but we get to the end of part one. Um, and man, I hate that we're not going to get to part two until, you know, we don't know when. Yeah. Uh, but the last few references to, you know, Son of Man 21, 27, and 36, mm-hmm. 22, 22, 22, 48, and 22, 69, and then chapter 24 and verse 7. Mm. Those are the last few references to the Son of Man. Um, and, that, and you know, these chapters, it's really just the same as, you know, the other Gospels. You know, yeah. Judas' betrayal, um, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, Judas' betrayal, um, you know, he dies, comes back, you know, he sees the... Uh, actually, I think this... Um, I'm, just, I'm looking at it right now, but mm-hmm. he appears to the two men traveling on the road. Yes. I don't know if that actually appears... In any of the other Gospels. It's unique to the Gospel of Luke. It is. It's almost like an epilogue to the book. And then we'll kind of get into this um, a little bit about why we named the podcast a certain way. Because, mm. you know, Luke is the only reference we have to um, this, the upper room. Uh, uh, with we, it we, being called the upper room, The yes. upper room, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not until technically Acts... Uh, so we'll kind of wait until we get into Acts, and we'll go over that. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've been talking about the Son of Man. So what does this even mean? <laughs> well, it's actually really interesting when you look at it. Um, so Son, right? And we're kind of going, we're kind of going the Hebrew route on this one okay. to give a little more meaning on um, what's going on here. And this is why I say it actually plays into genie to Jesus's lineage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, um, bar mm-hmm. or just butchered that mess. It's, that's the Aramaic version mm-hmm. of the word Ben, which means son. Um, and then Enosh mm-hmm. is Aramaic as well. So bar Enosh would be son of man in Aramaic roughly. I just like butchered that. Mm-hmm. Ben Adam is another use of yep. son of man. Um, but Adam and Enosh, while they both mean man, they're two distinct words. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only time we see bar Enosh is, you know, in use in Daniel and apocalyptic nature. Yep. Um, and we'll get into that in just a second. And then when we see Ben Adam, it's in Ezekiel mm-hmm. and Numbers in reference to Ezekiel, because Ezekiel is called the Son of Man. He is, yes. Um, and so something interesting. Um, uh, like I said, Bar Enosh is Aramaic. Mm-hmm. So do you know what the Hebrew for Enosh is? I do not. Well, if we go back to the beginning of Luke, uh-huh. we get a very important person... And I probably just passed it. But when we're talking about Jesus' lineage, right? Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve had a few sons that are actually named in the beginning of Genesis. Yeah. Who are they? It would be Cain and Abel and mm-hmm. then Seth. Okay. So we get to Seth. Mm-hmm. Who? What is Seth's son's name? Do you know? Is it Enosh? It is Enosh. So what I find kind of interesting mm-hmm. is that Enosh is this same word that is used in Daniel for man. Interesting. 
So when we get to, uh, and that's kind of why I was saying, you know, we're going to be using the Hebrew. When mm-hmm. we get to, you know, this terminology, son of man, it kind of drives home that point, mm-hmm. you know, that Jesus is the son of humanity, yeah, of Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. of their son, Seth, and then their grandson, Enosh. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus has a human lineage. Yeah. And I don't know how you can sit here and... You know, with that terminology, him calling himself that, and when you and when you look at the Greek, uh, anthropos, mm-hmm. it's the same word as uh, the Hebrew enosh. Yeah, literally the same word. It has the same connotation, denotation of uh, uh, feebleness and frailty, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to God's um, infiniteness, His infinite might. You know, we're in, we're finite, we're weak and frail. Yeah. Okay, and. And even even still, we see that with um, with Jesus, he had at the end of his life, you know, we see how frail the human body is. We do, yeah. Okay, he is put on a cross and he dies within hours mm-hmm. of being beaten. You know, you don't hang on a cross after being beaten nearly to death and flogged and yeah. whipped and everything else, and you don't just you know hang up there all ah la di da di da nothing's happening, you yeah. know. It doesn't work like that, you know, and he's bleeding. We, mm-hmm. we even see in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, he's praying. Mm-hmm. And what's happening when he's praying? He's sweating blood. Sweating blood. His, literally, mm-hmm. the only way you can sweat blood, and this is scientific fact, okay, is your capillaries have to burst mm-hmm. and mix with the blood and sweat. Yeah. That's literally what's happening. His capillaries are literally bursting when he's praying. And it's and he's sweating because he's about to take on the full weight of the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, and just let that sink in for a second. A human who is also divine, who is mm-hmm. also God, mm-hmm. taking on the full weight of the Father's wrath. And uh, I believe Luke talks about an angel that comes and strengthens him. Yes, they're in the garden. Yes, an angel does come and strengthen him. Mm-hmm. And so we have to. And and this is why I love this so much, right? The whole son of man. Because, it, like I said, it really drives home that point that Jesus was human, mm-hmm. that he was real. Mm-hmm. You could have seen him. People talked to him. People did see him, mm-hmm. right? They touched him. They felt him. When that lady walks up to him, you know, and there's like a bajillion people in the crowd and she touches his yeah. his tunic, his cloak, and she's immediately healed. And he's like, okay. Who was that? He's looking mm-hmm. around. I mean, you know, you kind of wonder. He obviously knew. Yeah. Right. And she reveals herself to him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you're you're forgiven. You know, your sins are forgiven because of your faith. And so it shows his compassion as well. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how you can, you know, sit here and say, even the historians, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, there's way too much evidence for Jesus being a real person. Of course, yeah. They may not believe in his, you know, divinity, but they believe that and they know that he was a real person. No, it's a well-known fact and an accepted fact amongst I think almost any historian mm-hmm. would agree with that he actually existed as a man. Yeah, and to deny that is, you know, to deny a piece of history. Mm-hmm. Even though Jesus is more than just history. Yeah. But like I said, I thought it was just interesting that um you know, this word Enosh it, it, you know, it kind of has two things going on for it. You know, mm-hmm. one, that it's a reference back to one of Jesus' ancestors, yeah. right? And driving home that fact that 
he is human and that he has a lineage and that it is traceable all the way back to Adam, mm-hmm. who is then traceable back to God. Yep. Um, and then we'll see, you know, why it's traceable back to God next week when we talk about John. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the kind of second thing, you know, Luke knew what he was doing. Yeah. You know, he's a historian. Um, I don't know if he was um, Jewish or not. I would probably... I don't think he was. Yeah, I would probably lean towards him being more... Um, what is the Jewish Greeks? Yeah. Uh, I can't even remember the term now. But you know what I'm talking about. Are you talking about like Hellenistic? The Hellenistic Jews. Yeah. Yeah. I would lean probably him more being a Hellenistic Jew if he's Jewish at all. Yeah, because I don't think Luke is even a Jewish name. I don't think so either. But, you know, there are... Um, some pretty Greek names for Jewish people. And that's because of the yeah. time period. Yeah. Um, but he knew what he, he definitely knew what he was doing here. Mm-hmm. Right. Using that son of man, oh, uh, yeah. the connection back to Ezekiel, mm-hmm. um, and the connection specifically back to Daniel, Yep. you know, using that anthropos, which is, you know, the equivalent of the Hebrew Enosh mm-hmm. and driving home that fact that he's human. And I think that's, you know, the one thing that really stands out to me. Uh, because for Christ to die for our sins, mm-hmm. he has to be two things. He has to be God, okay, because how else is he going to rise from the dead? Yep. And he has to be human because how else is he going to die? Yep, exactly. And that's just the fact of the matter. Um. So, you know, I kind of did a little scoring of my own. <laughs> uh, Luke, when it comes to history and content, five out of five. Absolutely. Dude's an elite. Oh, right? yes, absolutely. Uh, chronology, five out of five, because he's the only one that's uh, chronological besides probably John. Um, and then length, I gave a one out of two. <laughs> it's uh, fair. It's a, uh, well, do you get it? Well, no, it's part yeah, one yeah. of part one and two. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, kind of corny. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Uh, one day we'll get to part two, obviously, of this great, you know, book that was written technically two books yeah this yeah honestly i think luke is luke is literally the longest gospel yes it's longer than matthew like there's yes. about six or seven chapters in there that are like 50 plus verses mm-hmm. and i was sitting there looking at him like dang luke is literally out here writing and you got to understand matthew has so many like parables and like stuff like that. like you can read like you read through them quick right you know whereas this is like whole narrative. It's like a history book. It does read like a history book. <laughs> I wonder what um some of the people were thinking when they first, you know, got this manuscript from Luke. Yeah. They're like, dude. They they're probably like what college students are like nowadays. Yeah. They're like, oh brother, what did this guy do? What, what happened to Mark? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what happened to Mark? <laughs> they probably uh they probably set Mark in the back corner, you know, the library and they're like, all right, here's Luke. Yeah. They didn't know what treat they were in for when John came out, you know, so many years later. Right. They're like, oh, wow, this is actually, like, insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm excited for John. John's probably the gospel I know more than any of the other three, and I know the other three well, but I definitely think John is what I know the best. Yeah, I think that'd be the same. I think anybody could really say the same. Yeah. Um, And I think that's, you know, partially due to, you know, John 3.16. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's partially due to how short John is, mm-hmm. um, and I think it helps that it's very episodic. I feel like the Book of John is. Yeah, like you can take it chapter by chapter. 
you know, a couple of the chapters, once you get further in, kind of go more together. But for the most part, like, it's pretty, like, when they split it into chapters, they did a pretty good job of splitting into, like, different, like, episodes almost in Jesus's life. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad you said that, um, talking about the chapters. Because mm-hmm. I was going to mention the last usage of Son of Man and Luke, if I can find it right quick. But, and the reason I was going to bring this up, um, and then we can, you know, end it with this. Mm-hmm. But uh, Luke 24, 7, and good thing I'm right here at the end of it. Um, but he says, saying that the Son of Man, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and the third day rise again. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of glad you reminded me of that. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, the first usage of it. Yeah. Um, but anyways very we we call those inclusios yes book endings you know we, you start with the about, yeah we talked about it before you start with a a thought or a theme you end with the same thought or theme mm-hmm. and that's what luke does like yes. it goes back to that luke knew what he was doing exactly smart guy so uh hit that thumbs up subscribe on youtube we're at the upper room discourse uh other than that i guess follow us on spotify or apple podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts Turn on notifications. Yeah, hit the bell. Five stars, please. Anyways, we'll uh, see you guys next week as we conclude our series on Advent. Yep. Come back next week. You have reached the end of the record. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our YouTube and also find us on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify.